Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Food Therapy Podcast. Lauren and I really wanted to do something special today because it's actually World Mental Health Day. And both Lauren and I are really candid about our own mental health struggles. And so we are so excited to have on Susan Warner. And so I'm going to introduce Susan and then we'll get started. Susan Warner is an educator, wife, and mother. Her journey is a perfect example of life's contradictions. A storybook marriage of 38 years and two magnificent children, she existed in the comfort of an extraordinary cocoon of friends and family. Enter the devastating suicide of her 34-year-old son and then the subsequent death of her husband six months later of a virulent cancer in an eight-week diagnosis to death. Susan is a story of acceptance, pushing on and not being defined by social emotional norms. She's living her best life, making choices that define her right turn after her catastrophic loss and characterizing a journey to self-actualization and commitment to help others who've experienced loss. So welcome, Susan. Thanks, Britt. So just want to remind everyone, you know, the three of us, were not mental health professionals and we will be discussing personal experiences and our own understanding of mental health, but we wanted to make sure that you know that we are not mental health professionals. And also as a warning, we will be discussing suicide in today's episode. So before we get started, I feel like I do need to give context, Susan, and how I know you. So Susan happens to be the mother of my best friend and oldest friend, Liz, from third grade. And Susan has acted as like a pseudo mom to me over the years. And I've known her since age eight. So... It's been, you know, this is really amazing that you're here sharing the space with me. Thanks, Brittany. And, and it's been a pleasure having that title and being able to be with you for the last mm, 25 years. So it's so crazy. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Yes. We've gone through a lot together. Yes, we have. So Susan, can you share your story with obviously as much or as little detail as you feel comfortable, you know, losing David? Sure. I gave birth in 1985 to the most magnificent baby boy. He was charismatic and athletic and smart and handsome. And he was that golden child of our family, the first grandchild, the apple of his aunt and uncle's eyes and his grandparents' eyes. And he gave them back love tenfold. And David grew in suburbia with ease through high school, through middle school. And then towards the end of high school, addiction started to rear its ugly head. His addiction in its worst form was through gambling, a horrible, horrible addiction. And then once in a while, other addictions would come into play. He went to the University of Michigan, which he adored, however, fed into some of these problems and then embarked on a career in New York in the commodities market, which did not help the cause. Um, all through that, David was still wonderful and loving and caring and one the best of the best. You know, my saying is the brightest stars burn half as long. He had had a stint in, in rehab. He had outpatient therapy, and 
And he was what we thought on a really good path four weeks from his wedding to a girl he really cared about. Four weeks before his wedding, he said goodnight to her, went up to the roof of his building and leapt off. That was August 18th of 2017. At 34 years old, with what looked like life in front of him, an exciting life, a loving life, David died. I can't tell you that it was completely a shock to his father and I. David had flirted with rooftops and maybe thoughts, verbal thoughts of, you know, you, sometimes you'll be better without me. But I would say to him, David, the only way you'll ever really hurt me is if you leave me. Unfortunately, that probably was not strong enough. Um, there is the saying that um, the pain that a suicide feels every day, that pit in your stomach that you just are a fraud and that people will be better off without you is brutal every day, all day, that they don't deserve to be loved. They don't deserve to be happy. I believe that suicide is selfless, not selfish, that that person thinks that everybody around them will be better off without them. And that I don't think that people go into suicide <laughs> looking forward to it. It's, it's just the alternative of the burning building behind you or the leap in front of you. And mm -hmm. although no one ever wants to make that leap, including that person, the threat of the flames behind them, which is their demons, is worse. Yeah, I mean, it's... Brutal. It's brutal. Yeah, it's 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 hard to even know what to say. And, you know, knowing knowing David the way I did, I had no idea. And, you know, I so remember when Liz texted me at 6 a.m. verbatim, she said, my brother died. I don't know what to do. My immediate thought was a car accident because I'm like, you know, he's young. What could have happened? And so it really just shows you how from an outsider, you really have no idea what somebody's going through, especially yeah. someone is like outgoing and loving. And charismatic and warm. Yeah. And, and, and I almost think, I almost like to compare it in a positive sense to the clown who laughs on the outside and cries on the inside. You know, it's those wonderful comedians in our society who are just so brilliant and so tortured, and yet they make all of us laugh. Yes. I think that personality sometimes is indicative of someone who is who wrestles. You know, in David's case, he wanted to be the best fiance, the best son, the best grandson, the best nephew, the best brother, the best friend. And it was just too much. He just couldn't shoulder it anymore. And those voices in conflict, be good, David, be bad, David, just we're overwhelming. We're overwhelming. I've never, ever had any humiliation or any type of humiliation over my son being a suicide. I don't, uh, from day one, there were no whispers. Um, when, when people ask what happened, you know, David took his life, you know, and then if they want more detail or however we go on to explain that I do, but I think that no one should ever be, ever be ashamed of, of that kind of, torture and, and life that right. is comfortable. Yeah. And I think that there's just so much misunderstanding when it comes to suicide. And that's why there still remains, you know, a level of stigma and shame that's attached to it. And now having gone through this experience again, like just you speaking from your own personal experience, I'm curious how your own perception of like mental health and also suicide has changed from this experience. Wow, that's a good question, Brittany, that no one has ever asked me. Um, I don't know if I went into this experience saying, oh, I'm not embarrassed about suicide. You know, let's all talk about it. But after having a son who, who was a suicide, I strongly feel that way. I think that it's really interesting that people deal with someone who has experienced this 
they always want to know the details and they always want it to be related to something very, very factual. So it won't happen to their child, to them, to their friends, to their, and, and they're like, it's almost like that breast cancer statistic, one in 10. Well, okay. It happened to you. So it's not going to happen to, to, to my sphere. And that is very unrealistic. When there are signs, when there is depression, when there is anxiety, when there when there are demons, and I best classify them as demons because I don't know technically how else to refer to them, we do the best we can. You know, we get these people help, we encourage them, we build self-esteem. I think what you're trying to do, and, and I it's impossible is, and I said this to you earlier, is attach rational thought to an irrational act. I can't tell you rationally what to do to make someone better or to spot it or to get them help. I can just tell you that what they did is beyond my ken. I'm not that person. I don't have those feelings. So I don't know how to spot them, how to bring it back, how to make it better. I know that because of social media, because of the world that your generation's growing up in, where you've seen terrorism and life is a drop less precious because you've seen the World Trade Center and you've seen you, you go through airport security getting basically undressed. And the pandemic now, yes, and the pandemic has done major the pandemic damage too. to young, particularly young people from what I see because of your social life and the crippling of social media, that it's a really hard world. And I think suicide being on an uptick has a lot to do with that. Social media being probably the biggest culprit. You know, we have this advancement of the internet and media and we can't go back, but we can't handle it. So I don't know what the answer is to that other than putting it out there that it's not real, that, that this is, and, it, and it's harmful, but we're not going to go backwards and start writing in pen and paper again. We're not, but that and the pandemic is a huge thing to address that I really haven't talked about where there's an isolation and the world changed. And a lot of people yeah. don't like the change, the informality, the lack of social workplace, the lack of socialization, the parties, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And this is causing despair and it's causing depression and anxiety and all those things that can lead up to one feeling they'd be in a better place or people will be in a better place without them. Yeah, it's so scary too, because I know people always say like, oh, well, there's so much more help than there was in the past, right? There's so much more awareness, but at the same time, it's like, there's so many other things that are bogging us down, like the social media, like you were talking about um, the terrorism and everything. Is there anything that you suggest in terms of social media to, to almost set a healthy boundary. Most with it. of my work as an educator has been with older adolescents where you really can't set those boundaries. You know, they're not children putting some sort of catch on a computer. No, no. I mean, it's a peer to peer. It's when you see, I'm a college counselor by trade. And when you see the colleges are on TikTok, where's it going to stop? So we went from Facebook to Instagram, Snapchat, Insta Story, TikTok. No, because they are now advertising to, enticing, and educating that generation on social media. Big money in it? You know, no, I don't see how how to pull it back. I don't. Right. So I think it's what you said. It's like building that awareness. That's really the only thing someone can do. Like there's there really is no going back. And I'm almost afraid for like you know, if, and when hopefully like I have kids and, you know, if Lauren, if that's a goal for you, like what their lives will be like, cause there's just going to be so much more social media that's out there and other avenues to, you know, really wreck someone's self-esteem. So 
and, and exist in a world that isn't real. Right. You're setting expectations for yourself against a world that isn't real is so difficult. And then going down that rabbit hole, you know, of right. hours, hours of researching other people's, you know, legs or noses or, yes. or whatever yes. it is or, or social events. You know, I remember really early on when someone I know saw a boy that she dated next to a girl at a party and went you know, crazy. They're together, they're together. And they were just caught in a picture together. They weren't <laughs> together, but interpretation, and then you spin and then you go crazy yeah. and then you dive deeper into those names. And it's a scary world out there as far as social media goes. Yeah. Look, staying yeah. in your lane and having strong, you know, yeah. self-awareness and and self-understanding, of course, is the answer. But unfortunately, I think that comes with time and wisdom and age. You know, as they say, youth is wasted on the young. It's that, you know, we get smarter as we get older, but you can only do that with experience and and with a greater understanding of the big picture. That's so hard too. I would imagine as a parent to, when you can't do it, like you can't do much about it. You can do as, as much as you can, but then it there's becomes a line where it's like, what else can you really do? Look at how, how big bullying has become in our society and cyberbullying. I think that's what really hits the younger children. And how do you escape that? How do you stop that? You know, they schools try, you know, they try to they try to cross over the line into personal lives. I'm not sure where those those lines are so blurred. Right. And children have a hard go of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And what I actually, I was reading some stats on the CDC website, and this is only as recent as 2019, but it said that the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 34 is suicide. And so like, like you were saying, like not having that lived experience starting at age 10, like it's, you know, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. And again, that has to be balanced off of a generation of parents that um, maybe are a little too enabling, maybe a little too involved, maybe a little too hovering where in younger generations, you just sort of stood up, brushed yourself off and, and jumped forward. Is that healthier? I don't know, but suicide's on the rise, not on the decline. So maybe it was, maybe all of this feeding into everybody gets a trophy, everybody's a winner. And then the disappointment is a dangerous way to live instead of faith. And I always use the term um, failing appropriately I think that children today and parents should be taught to let their children fail appropriately. Everyone can't win all the time. You have to learn to take life's bumps as well. And that's somewhat of a thesis of my recovery thought is, is that life is full of bumps and curves and that's what makes you more interesting. And that's what makes you better. They're hard to take, they're painful, but you come out the other side a lot better. Brittany, you know that. I think you have, you know, felt that as well. Not always easy. It's not always charmed. Sometimes it's hard, but you're not a better person. I mean, and I always say that you are truly the strongest human that I've come across. And I I really, I say that not lightly. And it's, it's very kind and it's not true. Trust me. So many have endured so much more than I have. Yeah. No, but you know, and it's, it's just like the overall mentality and your attitude and I'm, you know, not just losing David, but also your husband who you said you had a fairy book marriage, but I was really there to witness it. And I always said like, I want a marriage like Susan and Michael, like, you know, your marriage was really beautiful, beautiful. beautiful. And you, you know, you loved each other so much and having that kind of loss. Yeah. Yeah, I, I often say that um, Michael and I danced together better than anybody I knew. And that was figurative right. and literal. 
knew how to give space. We knew how to let each other breathe. We knew when to be there for each other. And we were amazing on the right. dance floor. <laughs> so a combination of the two, yeah, combination of the two. But in recovery from this, when one decides that they want to live, that they want a life, then then you start making choices. And I think that choices are the most important thing in this conversation. If you choose to stay in bed for a year and, and spin in your thoughts, that's your choice. No judgment. There should be no judgment in this process. And that's one of the greatest things I learned from all of, from profound grief is you can't judge anybody. You know, someone losing a 98-year-old grandmother can suffer as much as I did. I can't judge anybody else's losses. That's firstly. And secondly, I can make choices. I can choose to do new things. I started to horseback ride again and it became a big part of my life and, and my joy. I'm an avid spinner at SoulCycle and it's Zen for me and it brings me somewhere else. I travel extensively at this point, which I, I is really important to me. I've started writing again. I'm a trained journalist and that has brought me such incredible joy. And I've decided to go out there and be with other people, women and men. And those are my choices. And once you make choices, then finding your happiness and being happy and self-actualization can come forward. And what helped you get to that place to be able to say like, these are the choices that I want to make? Elizabeth, my daughter, who we've intellectualized this together. We're very much two peas in a pod. And we intellectualized all of our loss a lot. And one day she said to me, you need to close the door. I was probably whining about something. And she said, probably profound loneliness because when Michael died, particularly my husband, I've never felt a depth of loneliness like I felt. And she said, you need to close the door and be happy with you. And you need to find things that make you happy. And she said, and mom, let me ask you a question. Can you be happy? And that was earth shattering for me. Like, of course. Oh, can I? And then I went on this search to find happiness within myself and to find out if I can be happy. Fortunately for me, I can be happy. I can wake up every morning happy. I can go to sleep content. I can close the door and want to be with me, yet want people around me and want to be with people and in a relationship and love and care. So thank you, Elizabeth, for that, for sure, on many levels, on many levels. I will also say that I was really fortunate and not everybody has just have the most extraordinary cocoon of family and friends. Amazing. My family is so intensely supportive. And I say that in the past, present and future tense. And not everybody has that. But for me, I can be with my brothers and my brother-in-laws and nobody knows who's who. And that's extraordinary. And but I don't have sisters. So, you know, I can't quite you look alike. And, and there are, some, I mean, there are some really deep relationships with my sister-in-laws, but with my brothers and my brother-in-laws, <laughs> nobody knows who's the brother and who's the brother-in-law. And that's because they've been so supportive. And, and you, you know, genuinely look like your sister-in-law and, and brother-in-law too. Yeah. So, you know, they hurt as well, but everyone's been so really held Elizabeth and I up, which is fantastic. So through all of this, how, I mean, anybody who might be listening, who might be experiencing, you know, similar grief that you have, where did you start with healing? Um, I didn't seek as much help as people probably thought I should have professionally. Um, it, it didn't work that well for me. I'm unfortunately too good at sales and I could convince someone how fine I was. So and that's my bad, not the health professional. 
it was a lot of introspection, a lot of soul searching, a lot of waking up to a blue sky and a sunny day and saying, I choose to live and I've got stuff to do and I'm going to do it the best way I can. It, you know, I lost my mom at 18 and that's a very gentle time to lose your mother. And growing up in a small town, with a, you know, family, it was like, okay, pull on your big boy pants and move forward. And it's kind of all I've known. I do believe that profound loss makes you a deeper person that you from the low lows, learn the high highs and you learn not to judge and, and how to see people differently. Your vision Mm -hmm. is different. Mm -hmm. And where did you learn that? Luck, luck, you know, luck and and, and really good DNA from, from women in my family who also endured and were really strong. I can't, I can't appoint it to any one thing, any one group, group therapy. Those weren't the places I went to. I did hear a group speak called Modern Love, which is a pretty extraordinary organization that I'm sorry, Modern Loss. I'm so sorry. Modern Love being the editorials in the Times. Modern Loss, which speaks about grieving in a modern way. Grief has changed markedly over the generations. And it talks about grieving in a modern way. And that's where I really adopted the moving forward, not moving on theory, which is the thesis of of my recovery. Take them with you. Take these people with you. They're such an important piece of you. They made you who you are. You don't have to erase anyone or any experience. Take them forward with you and and embrace them. You know, I would talk about going on a date and having my husband on my shoulder and saying, oh my God, you could never do this. Are you laughing? Because this is awful. Or when when someone in the family kind of really messed up and, and saying to David, you know, are you giggling at this when people say, boy, he really screwed up. You know, I have an irreverent sense of humor and keep them with me. I do. And that to me is important because I don't want them to be forgotten. I like when people talk about them. I like anecdotes about them. I like to keep them present. They've helped me move forward. And I'm not sure. I think this is something you said on the podcast, not before, but just the fact that it's so important for you to not for there not to be shame and embarrassment, especially around David's death. And I'm curious, like, why do you think that there is still so much stigma and shame around suicide? And Suicide is, there's a difference between committing suicide and dying of natural causes. And I don't want to say that people that commit suicide make the choice, but in a sense they do. In that someone who dies of cancer doesn't make a choice. So everyone wants to attach this bad decision stigma to them when, when they didn't want, they didn't want to die. They wanted to get out of their current situation. It's, it's so misguided. It's not wrong. It's just misguided. And people don't understand the pain and the unworthiness that these people feel. And they attach a easy way out to it. And that's where the stigma I think comes in is these people made a choice and took it, took the the coward's way out. Boy, I think it's the opposite. I think they took the hardest way out. So it's that I I do talk about people are reticent to, you know, when, when they'll say my son took his life and then they get all, you know, doe eyed and cock their heads and say they're sorry. And, and every time I would mention David's name to someone new in my life, I could see them recoil or take that deep breath. And my comment is, if you can't let me talk about David, if you can't hear about this boy who was the light of my life for 34 years, then we can't do this. He's important and he's an important piece of me. So if you want to learn me, you've got to learn him. I do comment that I often date widows because we're very much in the same boat. We have the mutual respect for the people we lost. And that's wonderful. No animosity. You know, it's a respect and um, that makes it easier. 
But the stigma around suicide has got to end. And I think it will only end when people really understand that it wasn't an appealing choice. It wasn't, boy, I'm going to get up and do this today. It's the hardest way to make those people's life in their perception easier. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of the reason why we wanted to have you on today too, because the only way to remove some of the stigma is to just talk about it and gain better awareness and understanding of what it is. I wonder if that will be generational. I wonder if your generation will have a different outlook and a different, a different attitude towards suicide than my generation or the previous one. You know, it was completely taboo two generations ago. You know, they'd make up anything not to talk about it. I think that maybe you will all be a little bit more enlightened. And because you've been experienced, you know people, you've right. experienced people who weren't ashamed and maybe you will bring forward a better right. attitude about suicide. What do you hope people understand about suicide. And I think you, you touched upon a lot of this, but if there are some like main points that you want someone to walk away from this podcast, knowing what do you think? It would definitely be? be, don't, don't try to rationally think about the reason someone did something irrational. You know, leaping off a building is not, is not rational behavior. Don't try to think of a rational reason about, could we have stopped it? Could I have done something? You'll drive yourself insane. You can't effectuate that irrationality. That's first of all. And that takes the blame off the people because you could spend for your whole lifetime thinking, what could I have done differently? What could I have done? How could I have changed it? Why didn't I see it? Don't do that. You're here. It happened. You need to pick up and be the best you you can. That's first of all. Second of all is that it's selfless, not selfish, that that person thought that you would be better off. Whether you agree or not is not the question. It wasn't about you. And that there's nothing appealing about suicide to someone who commits suicide. It's not, it's not something they want to do. They just don't have an alternative. As I said, in the burning building theory, go back into the flames or jump off the balcony. Neither is appealing. But the thought of burning is a little bit worse than leaping. So there is, there is, their turmoil is as great as yours. And that in there is no stigma. There is no stigma. You didn't do it. It's not about you. It's about them. And and it was their pain and not yours. And if you choose, if you choose to move forward, then embrace life because you just got one of them and nobody's going to choose to be miserable, choose to, to be happy and to move forward and be your best. I love that. I love the don't the irrational versus the rational, because I, I just, you can go in circles all day long. Uh, all lifelong, right? And that's why some people don't do it and some people do. Mm-hmm. And where did you learn that? <laughs> Actually, it was from a conversation I had with Liz. So all of that introspection, you guys kind of came up with your own little- And a lot of time. We had some um, amusing, kind of irreverent ideas that we came up with in all of this that were pretty funny about, you know, how people should approach people in mourning. Like, don't don't go up to a person in mourning and cock your head and cry. Like that, that's not good behavior. You know, we had a whole list of things that you should and shouldn't do based on the time we spent doing it. Yes. But in that, um, she and I have been very therapeutic for each other and certainly um, important in each other's recovery. I'm very, very fortunate to have her as my daughter and her friends, quite frankly, they are the most incredible group of young women I have ever known and supportive and kind and understanding and wonderful. Brittany to be counted high in that group. So to kind of end this episode on, you know, a happy note, 
I want to ask what brings you joy today? You mentioned that there were certain things that you started to reincorporate. I know you mentioned horseback riding, but I'm curious, you know, like what brings you joy? Can I rephrase that is to how do I want to, you know, go out of this world? Uh, I want to go out. Yes. Self-actualizing, being the best me I can be. I want to go out being non-judgmental. I want to go out being fulfilled and I want to go out loving that. Well, Susan, thank you so much for coming on. You know, it's, yeah, you're, you're such a bright light and I'm sure there are people listening to this that will really be touched and just have like a better understanding in general after, you know, seeing your experience. So thank you so much. I hope so. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And we hope that everybody lives a bright and happier life, right? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.